how real are we on this podcast? Like super We're fucking real, yeah. super like real. raw, like raw, already real. fucking raw. Okay. So I've been fired from Goldman. I got fired from the White House. I sold thirty percent of my business to Zambrave and Freedom. I'm still here, man. He's still standing. I'm still standing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Business Untitled episode. We're not sure which one, but we're on a roll. Uh, excited today. We've got Anthony, the Long Island Stallion Scaramucci. Uh, I'll take that. It's a new nickname. I'm making it up as we go. <laughs> I'll take that. I've known Anthony a long time. Uh, he's got quite a story. I would say a few things about him before we start. He's one of the most likable guys in finance. Uh, and when that. I look at his career... It's not all been straight up. He's had a couple bumps, a couple big bumps, some that would, you know, take another man and, and end him. But Anthony's come back each time with the resilience. And I think one of the superpowers he has, which we're going to get to, is he's, like, really likable. And so people are cheering for him. Uh, all right, so far, so this is going fucking great. I'm glad it's <laughs> fucking going great. Okay, <laughs> fucking blowjob from Novogratz. So keep going. I'm fucking going to say much. Go ahead, man. What do you got to fucking say? Enough of you talking about me. What do you fucking think of me, man? I just like your fucking suit and all hair, right, man. All right, good. You see that? <laughs> Best so dressed guy that I, ever came well, here. Well, let me just say this, though. I was the worst dressed person ever interviewed at Goldman. So when he was coming out of Princeton, I was coming out of law school, and the uh, Goldman Sachs partner, I was in 100% poly, okay? I looked like an undertaker from Brooklyn. I had the black Guido tie on. I had the gold chain underneath the shirt. And the, the partner looked at me and said, look, man, you are the worst dressed person that we've ever met. I can't bring you down to Goldman for the callback interview dressed like this. And I thought I looked great. I didn't know any better. So I had to go to Brooks Brothers and buy a suit. What did Mike wear back in those days? <laughs> he was always a sharp, sharp dresser. I know Mike Novogratz when he had hair, man. I know so when he had hair. Him He's a sharp dresser. Years now. <laughs> no, thirty no, years. Thirty, since thirty-two he was years. Nine. Yeah, yeah thirty years. Always, he, was, he was thinning back, but he. Let me tell you something. I know. How Mike, depressed I know. did he get when he lost his hair? Stop picking he on doesn't, him. He doesn't, know, get down, he doesn't. He doesn't get depressed, and he's rich enough he could do a whole surf retread oh, up there. Turkey. We want it's all about turkey, turkey, baby. Yeah, he, 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 he could take it all off his ass and put it right on the top. Yeah, of his head. it's fucking <laughs> amazing, but, though. It's fucking good shit. This is want to feel this shit? <laughs> good shit. This is an Italian chia pet. Okay, this thing keeps growing. I got it from my grandfather. My brother's bald, by the way. He got the other side. Other families, genes. He should come to Turkey with us. You going? <laughs> I mean, I got a little son, but you know, black don't crack. <laughs> and beige don't age. Mella's not been, on one, age. Mella's not been on one episode of Business Entitled without a chapeau. <laughs> so, what the fuck is a chapeau? So a you hear, oh. That's French for You want to hear some good Novo stories, like though? Because yeah, 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 some yeah, good yeah. Novo stories. Let me, hear, let me hear your top two Novo stories. Well... Well, I mean, I got more than Novo's two. Been going I'll viral, you, so I'll give you, know? you two. I'll give you two. Okay, um, the first Novo story that everybody still talks about is the forty-year-old Novo at Madame Tussauds, where he had the fucking monster birthday party. It was right on Forty Second Street. He closed the place down. I was and there. You had, you like, had the, horror, yeah. fucking, you had the yeah. horror show. You had the you know, like the celebrity, and then you had like the royal family section. 
That was a monster 40th birthday party. That was party. my okay. first big party okay. post Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Right. And since then. All right, oh. so that, that's a Novo story. Okay, so he's, he's a big thinker. How many people was there? He's a big liver. I don't know. He probably had 250 people there, right? I mean, 350. 350, yeah. So that's a big Novo story. Everyone talks about that. Everyone that is our vintage talks about Mike's 40th birthday party. I uh, want to hear another, another good Novo story is. I, he don't remember this, but I came to visit him in Hong Kong. I was working for Jim Sheridan at the time. You remember Jim? You must remember I do Jimmy remember Sheridan. Jim Sheridan. And I was working with Bob Castrognano, and they sat me on a desk with him, okay? And this guy was rolling up. He must have been rolling up at like 6 a.m. for like a 6.01 start, this guy in Hong <laughs> Kong. Am I wrong about this? He was just rolling, trade up a storm, trades going everywhere. I was like, all right, this guy's got a set of nuts on him. 25 years later, look what he's doing. There you have it. Yeah. Those All are two right. good Novo stories. I can so, tell more. About so, it. Anthony, you grew up in Long good Island. Basic. Yep, we love taking people back to the roots a little bit to yep, give us ahead. a sense of. Mel asked the same question all the time. Did you grow up working class, middle class, or, or rich? All right, well, I would always say middle class because I would never dishonor my dad by telling you I grew up lower class. or you know, My dad was a crane operator, and he hustled. He had... Uh, he probably put in 60 hours a week on a crane. And so the only times we were not doing well was during the recession. So the 74 recession hit my family very hard. The 79 recession, remember the gas crisis? Yeah. That hit my family hard. But my father was a very disciplined guy. May his soul rest in peace. I, we lost him in September at age 88. He was a drinker. He was a smoker. If there was a cannoli in a six-foot perimeter of my dad's body, it entered the body, okay? <laughs> he had no longevity thing going, no hell. All he did was got up, he worked, he hunted, he fished. And he was Italian, but he was old-school Italian. He hit you with the belt. He punched you in the head. You know, one night, I, one night this is a true story. One night, my brother cracked up the car. He thought I cracked up the car. He came in and beat the living daylights out of me. I'm like, Dad, I don't even have a fucking driver's license. Because <laughs> <laughs> my older brother's the one I hit the car. You know, so this was a rough... My dad once said it to me, and, I said, and he's like, thought for a second. He's like, that's for the next time you do something. Uh, you know, that's what they were like. <laughs> but these were, these, were, these were old school people. I got, a, I, got a, I'll, you know, I got a picture on my phone of my mother dancing, okay, to the Bitcoin ETF announcement. She's 87. She's dancing on the linoleum that was put in in 1971. <laughs> and behind her, you can see the walnut paneling. Carol Brady has called, and she <laughs> wants her walnut paneling back, you know, from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. That's the house I grew up in. The, the kitchen was like this. There was one working bathroom, five people in the house. But I would say middle class. You know, we had everything. There was food. There was uh, my father was stickler with air conditioning. The air conditioner went in on Memorial Day. And it came out on Labor Day. Could have been fucking four hundred. About that. Could have yeah, been four hundred fucking degrees. Four hundred. Pop. It's four hundred degrees. School starting. It's Labor Day weekend. Get your ass upstairs. Pull that air conditioner out of the window. So that's how we that's, grew up. I've never heard that before. That's impressive. No, because he was. Wait, you he never was, heard that? Never. I've I've known people that you know air conditions in the windows, but never taking them out. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I you take, always, take yeah, always, always. You had to put the cover you on. You might have yeah, grew yeah. up rich, man. Central air conditioning. You might have grew up rich. Well, you you might have been lying here's to the thing. When you, here's the thing. When you're growing up like that, and you know, mm. we had some rich kids in the neighborhood, 
And and I raised rich kids. Like when I start up with my son, I'm like, oh, you you're fucking better than me because you grew up richer than me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I got to smack mm-hmm. them around a little bit. But you don't pick how you grew up. You pick your parents. Nah. You picked your skin color. Nah. I didn't pick anything about me. You know, we we get we get dropped on earth, and you got to figure it out. But my father was in a coal mining town in uh, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. He responded to a classified ad to mine sand on Long Island. And so I just want you to think about that. My, my grandfather was destitute. He told my father to get the hell out of this town. Um, and so he came, to, he came to Port Washington in 1954, and we got our start there. If you ever go out to Port Washington, Kenny Langone, whose father worked with my dad, this is going back like 60 years now. You got to get Langone on this podcast as well. You got to get Langone on because he'll tell you real hardcore Italian yeah. stories about Long Island. But my father worked with Kenny's dad. And Kenny, about 10 years ago, the sand mine that got mined out by these Italians and these Welsh and Irish is now a golf course. And so when you're in fourth grade on Long Island, they teach you uh, Long Island geography to tell you that Long Island is a glacial deposit from the Ice Age. You know, the, the ice came down, crushed the Adirondacks, crushed the Catskills. When it receded, it left Long Island, the two mm-hmm. forks, the elbow of Cape Cod. All of that is a remnant from the glacial deposits and in the town I grew up in was the largest deposit of granulated sand in North America 65 years of mining 1935 to say 2000 and I would say about 80 percent of the concrete that built these buildings over that period of time came from the sand from my hometown so Langone put a big monument there you got the immigrants looking out into the harbor and these big hands where the conveyor belts dropping the sand into the New York City skyline. And it's just a remembrance of all the immigrants that came with nothing that were hustling their way to someplace uh, back in that day. So I didn't grow up, did not grow up poor. No way. Never tell anybody that. Do we have a tight budget? Yes. Do we, we fight in the house over money? We certainly did, especially when my father wasn't. I remember when I was 12 years old, I got a Newsday paper out because my father was in a panic over the money, and I was hustling newspapers. Morning or afternoon? Is that a morning route or an afternoon route? So it was an afternoon route. It had to be because of school. So I would, get, I would get the papers. Mike would like this. This is how I ended up in private client at Goldman, okay? I used to go to Mr. Fusco, make his soul rest in peace. I said, okay, Mr. Fusco, I need 30 free papers. He said, what do you need those for? I said, just relax. I'm going to the Dolphin Green apartment. These are all blue-collar Irish ladies, Italian ladies, they all knew my mother, right? Yeah. I take the 30 papers, ding dong. This is Novogratz, how are you? My mom told me I could come by. Here's a free paper for you, ma'am. Ding dong, Mel, here's your paper, right? Then the next day it says, would you like daily and Sunday or do you just want daily? Mm-hmm. I had all these, these poor women, I guilted them into the route. You know, I had, <laughs> yeah. I had probably 150 papers in that route. I was making $45. A week, giving twenty five it to my parents. Man, hustler. Yeah, all right. But that's let's, that. Let's... You asked, so I'm telling you. Okay, so now I'm at my uncle's motorcycle shop. He had a place called Ghost Motorcycle. Taught me how to drive when I was fifteen. I'm delivering motorcycles. I got no permit. <laughs> I got no driver's license. I'm I'm got the bikes on the back of the truck. I'm dropping them off all over the place. When I turn seventeen, he turns to me. He says. Uh, you're ready. You're going to make a delivery in Manhattan. So, okay, no, no problem. So where am I going? You're going 128th Street and Park Avenue. I said, okay, how do I get there, Sally? Because you go through the 
Midtown Tunnel. You make a right turn on oh, Park shit, Avenue. No GPS. <laughs> no GPS. You go uptown. This is 1981. I'm 17 years old. I'm freezing my ass off in the truck. I'm pulling away. And he said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean what are you doing? You can't go up there without the fucking Doberman. He opens up the door. Oh, no the fucking Doberman pops into the car. He's riding shotgun with me. I get up there. The place is bombed out. This is 1981. Remember yeah. the Bronx is burning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm up there. I'm a white kid in a motorcycle truck with a Doberman. East Harlem. Okay. These three black guys come over to the car. What do you got in the car? I said, what do I got in the car? Let me show you what I got in the fucking car. I grabbed the fucking dope. <laughs> what is that? I, got the car. I jump out of the car. I said, I got the bike. Who's XYZ? He says, oh, that's me. I said, the bike's 400 bucks. The guy said, well, I only got $360. I said, man, my, my uncle's paying me $3 an hour to drive this truck around. I can't give you the bike. He says, oh, no, no, come on, man. You got to give me the bike. I said, look, I'm, getting, I'm going home. Got the dog on the choker. He says, wait a sec, give me 15 minutes. 15 minutes later, he comes back with a brown paper bag. He had busted into a soda machine. <laughs> no okay? fucking Nickels, way. dimes, quarters. We counted it out with the, the back of the bay of the van open. I took the $360 in singles, the $40 in nickels, dimes, and quarters in a brown paper bag, and I drove home. That's how I grew up. And that's Love how... That. I know we're all alike. Yeah. Because when you grow up like that, you <laughs> Other recognize Other than Dave Rubrich. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or possibly Mike. Let's, or possibly Mike. <laughs> but, right, you, let's, know, let's, you know, because these kids are laughing, they, you know that we're all alike. When you grow up like that, that's how you really figure it out. Yeah. Well, let's no skip difference. ahead. Let's skip ahead. How did you, you went for Tufts, well, Harp? Yeah. Goldman Sachs. Yeah. First big job. So Selling to rich Tufts people. is a quick 30-second story. John Zanetti, my guidance counselor, came to see my father. Don't send him to Binghamton. He's a hustler. He'll figure out a way to pay the tuition. So I went to Tufts, then I went to Harvard Law School. I was the underachiever there. I was there with Michelle, Barack Obama, Neil Gorsuch. So I was the underachiever. And then I was interviewing for a job at, uh, at Goldman, and uh, I got the job. It was in investment banking. Mike Facitelli, a friend of ours, uh, he was the one that told me I dressed like shit. I had to go get a new suit. He was, the, he was a partner in the real estate department. He hired me. About 18 months into the job, I got fired. Why? Uh, I sucked at the job. <laughs> I was a, uh, I was a law, lawyer, and I was trained in reading and writing, not spreadsheets. Yeah. So they fired me. It was, we were going into a recession. Mike was probably in the Army at that time because we were fighting Gulf War I. And so, you know, once we went to go invade Iraq, we had a recession. Goldman was cutting people back. They fired me. But this is a big lesson because I've been fired more than once. As you know, I get fired from the white. I've been fired. I've been roughed up. You always got to be nice to the person firing you. That's lesson number one. People paying attention. The guy firing you, the woman firing you is also having a bad day. So I said, okay, I've been fired. Could I use you as a reference? It took me about two months to get another job, but I got rehired into Goldman. Oh, no fucking so, way. So I got fired on February 1st, 1991. They handed me $11,000 severance check. On March 28th, 1991, I got rehired. Tony Infante, you remember her yeah. from personnel? Tony what, Infante. Was it, what, was it a different Different division, different yeah. division. The girl calls me from personnel. She says, Anthony, this is great news, you know. We're never going to have to tell anybody you got fired. We're going to tell people you got transferred. I said, oh, that's great. Can we get the $11,000 back? <laughs> no I said, way. no, no way. <laughs> I need the money. I got to buy suits. I got to get out of poly. 
Got to get into real fabrics. <laughs> so I kept the 11000 Probably cost me my career, but I did keep it. And then I went into private client. How long was a private client for? I was six more years. I spent a total of seven years at Goldman. I left and started a hedge fund in 96. Um, Michael, Dell, Michael Dell was the first money in the door because I had helped him sell a uh, secondary in 93. I got it, had a good relationship with Michael. And uh, I started in 96. I sold that business to Newberger Berman in, in, 19, uh, in 2001. Newberger got bought by Lehman. I started Skybridge in 05. But you, coming out of the financial crisis, probably because you were scrappy and needed money, built the conference business that became one of the premier conference businesses. This is why he's so successful. See why he was a partner at Goldman. He's like such an elegant diplomatic guy. We were dying. <laughs> we got a fucking business, okay? <laughs> I got the doors blown off me in 08. We were dying. I thought I was going to be a third-party marketer, Michael. Yeah. So I was like, all right, this business is dying. So how do I recreate myself? I got to go become a third-party marketer. Let me start a conference business. Why did I start a conference business? Because the TARP money got put into the big banks, and then Obama said, now's not the time to go to Las Vegas or fly around in your, your fat cat jet. You can't do that. You just got money from the government. Goldman canceled the conference in Vegas. Citi canceled the conference. Merrill canceled the conference in Vegas. So I said, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm a small business. Nobody cares about me. I'm going to open a conference in Vegas. You remember Karen Seitz? Yeah. Okay, I called her. She got Wes Clark and Dick Gephardt to be my two keynote speakers. I called Michael Milken, who's a phenomenal guy. Yeah, I told Milken him, is dope. Shout out to Milken. Yeah, lo love him. He's a great guy. I called him. I told him I need, need help. He says, I'll come out. I'll be your luncheon speaker. So we started that conference at the Encore Hotel. Uh, May of 2009, we had 300 people there. But, but the second year. I so was they, at the second year. Yeah, yeah you came I got third place. You came to the second year. You also came in 2015. You were on Wall Street Week. You always was a good dresser. You had these like weird like brown shoes and shit, you know? <laughs> what happened the second year? I was there. I'm supposed to give this keynote speech. It's a long speech. And Anthony's what you talk about. And I had no notes. I, so I acted like I was meditating to get him nervous. He's like, you sure you can do this? I'm like, mm. And I went out. I gave a great speech. And they, great they, speech. they rated, great macro. They rated the speeches. Yeah. Uh-huh. I lost. I lost to Bill Clinton and Mike Milken, but I got third place. I took. I took great pride in that. He's got a great That's memory. Too good he, people to lose to. By the way, he's got a great memory. So the second year, I brought Milken back. Michael came, Bill Clinton came, and he gave a great macroeconomics speech. He came a couple of times though. Yeah. He was great every time. Every anytime he wanted to come, he had an open invitation to come. So how much did you sell your first business for? Well, let me ask. Let me let, let's stay for one second because. What was so interesting about Skybridge, as it grew, everybody went. And Anthony was pulling salt. Yeah. Uh, politicians from the left, politicians from the right. The last time I was there, I almost got in a fight with uh, Jeff Sessions. <laughs> you know, that dinner. You know? 2019. That, that was right? fun. But it, yeah. it, he Chris put Christie, together, yeah. you know, Al Pacino, these great dinners with 15, 20, 20 characters. Wait, was it like <clears throat> the dinner for bankers Well, for that, that conference. And there, yeah. there were not Did other conferences that were yeah. doing as as, as Were you at the Bill mixed. Ackman dinner where Joe Biden threatened him? No. Wait, that no. was one of the best dinners. No fucking way. Joe, oh, yeah, that I was very that documented. We need that was real very shit. Documented. <laughs> so Bill was sitting there. Okay, so, so I'm talking set, about Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe right now. Yeah, I'm talking about okay. the vice president then, the president <laughs> now, right? 
So 20-person dinner, VIP dinner, Michael knows. It's a one-table conversation. I'll have you in and out of there in an hour. Got to listen to each other. There's very smart people in the room. Let's listen to each other. The vice president, president now, but at that time, he's sitting across from me. <laughs> to my left is Lara Logan from 60 Minutes, right? Cougoots, yep. right? You know what I'm talking about, right? She starts with the first question, and she firebombs Biden about Iraq. And so Biden is very put together. He's a very polished guy. He looks over at her. He says, you know, Anthony told me this was going to be like a really social and very relaxed dinner. Wasn't expecting that type of a question. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something that I think makes sense here. I'm going to bite my tongue. Okay? So Bill's sitting right next to him. And Bill leans over to him and Bill says— Quinn. No, Bill Ackman. Oh, Bill Ackman. Leans okay. over. He says, "He's more influential these days than Bill Clinton." Yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> he, but, but I love Bill Ackman. He, he turns over. He says, "Bite your tongue." You're 71 years old. You never bit your tongue before. Why start now? <laughs> <laughs> That's like stone cold silence. <laughs> Biden looks at him and goes, "What? Who did you just say to do? I'm, I'm the former vice president of the United States. Do you want me to bring you out into the alley and?" Beat the daylights out of you? <laughs> no way. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. That's yeah. not a the real. Okay, but, yeah, that's what happened. Okay. That's crazy. But to Bill's credit, he hung in there, and he apologized. He said, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry if I, you know, I, I was trying to make a joke. I'm sorry. And then the, the conversation went. And then what happened, which Bill did not like, Biden's people leaked that story to the press. That was supposed to be Chatham House rules. Yeah, that's what but Chatham Biden, House But Biden wanted to show he had some flex in him, you know, and he was taking on hedge fund managers. And he leaked it. But to Bill's credit, he handled it well. He just sloughed it off, you know. And, and what's sorry? Yeah, go to, ahead. yeah what for Skybridge? <clears throat> like, where does it position itself, or what was your kind of like thesis theory? Like, how did you start to? So like forever, that? we were a fund of funds, but fund of funds is like being in the typewriter business when the word processes are showing up, right? So everybody can go direct. So we have a small fund of funds now for retail investors. So this is like for dentists and doctors, $50,000 minimum. You want your money managed by Novo or you want your money managed by Paul Singer. You can't get in there because the minimums are too high. You can come to us. We'll put you in their portfolio. So that's a small piece of the business. About three years ago, we made a strategic decision to go into crypto. Mm -hmm. So we've got about seven or $800 million in crypto now, which includes things like mostly Bitcoin, some Ethereum, Managed here, by the way, as you know. I mean, Matt Galaxy has a lot of our uh, crypto business. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have uh, some money in Solana. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I made the ill-fated decision to sell some of my business to Sam Bankman-Fried, which him and I have talked about. Yeah, tell right. us about that. So, I've been fired from Goldman. I got fired from the White House. I sold 30% of my business to Sam Bankman-Fried, and I'm still here, baby. <laughs> He's still standing. <laughs> I'm still standing. That's because people like him. So, but but there's something else that I well, I appreciate you saying it, but you got to be in, you have to have integrity, man. I got five kids. I tell my kids, you got to have integrity. Don't treat people poorly. Don't do bad things to people. Don't be dishonest. You have integrity. You'll always have opportunity. He even got fired by his wife, and she took him back. Another <laughs> <laughs> true story. Yeah, she fucking divorced my. Uh, so so. My wife. <laughs> fucking love this guy. My wife. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> like, you know why you love me? Because you know the way I'm thinking. My wife hates Donald Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, almost. I mean, it's like fucking way up there. Who's I finally found somebody one? that hates Trump as much as Melania, though. General Milley. 
Yes. But yes. He, oh, he hates him as much as Melania. Yeah. I mean, he's like, yeah, I thought you my wife hated him the most. I don't know why that's going on. But, uh, yeah, so what happened was. So you didn't hate Trump. Then you, you hated Trump. No, you want to hear this? I'll give you the whole story. I yeah, didn't, I, I, I didn't I, hate. I, I or, need to know it. I, I didn't I, hate or not hate Trump. Yeah. I had no avenue into the wealthy. My father was a crane operator. He had a, you know, what a green he is. He wore a green, you know, he wore a green grease suit. When he got off the crane, he put the green suit into the safety clean drum, and he got another one the next day. No golf course, no tennis racket. We knew nothing. You know, we grew up with, you know, again, middle class. We didn't have the, I never saw the inside track at a country club. And so now I got no access. I'm in Goldman Sachs, high net worth. I'm trying to reach rich people to sell them on Goldman services. How am I going to do that? Politics. So I wrote my first check to Rudolph Giuliani. He had lost the race in 1989, and he was running in 93. And I was young Republicans for Rudy. It's before he went goo-goo, before he lost his mind, right? So I wrote the checks to him, and he won. And when he won, he opened up an entire world to me that I had no exposure to. He was the mayor. I had one of these parking passes. I mean, you could park the car on, like, two wheels on a fire hydrant. It didn't matter. You know, I was backing into all different types of <laughs> spots, right? Because I was I tied with that fucking pass. Yeah, yeah, forget <laughs> it now. They're very tied with those passes now. But he then introduced me to Pataki, and then Rudy did what Rudy always does. He flipped over to Cuomo, Chris's father, you know? And so I was working with Pataki, so I know George forever. He won the governorship in 94. Now I'm in the Republican Party, right? Now I'm like a fundraiser for the Republicans. 98, I worked for D'Amato. 2000, I worked for George W. Bush. 04, Bush reelect. 2008, I'm now working for John McCain, and, and so on. We're building this like cotege. He's a good, deep Republican fundraiser. My best fundraising was for Romney in 2012. 16 comes along, I'm working for Jeb. Trump calls me. It's the day after The Apprentice. Having breakfast with him. So he has chairs like this in his office, right? So his, his desk is, you ever been in Trump's office? So his desk is up here. Your chair is down here. So you're like, you're like, you're like in the fucking movie Elf. You know, you're one of the elves, though, you know? <laughs> you're like staring at the guy, right? And he says to me, he says, Mooch, he says, uh, you see me last night on The Apprentice? This is The Apprentice finale. I said, no, I, I didn't see you. Ah, oh, gee, you were the only one. You were the only one that didn't see me. The, <laughs> the ratings were fantastic. He said, but I'm done with that now. I'm running for president. I said, you're not running for president. I said, no, no, I'm running for president. I'm done with that. I'm 68, 69 years old. I'm going to be the president. It's my only chance to do it. I got to do it. I said, you're not doing that. This is just a total publicity stunt. He goes, you're like everybody else. You're not taking me seriously. I got Corey Lewandowski downstairs. I hired this person. I hired that person. I'm making the announcement in two months. I want you to come work for me. You got a good, strong appearance on television. I want you to work for me. I forgot I thought it was, a, I think everybody, at least from the hood, thought it was a joke at first. Of course. Did you guys think it was a joke at first? Well, I, thought, I, knew it was a, <laughs> I knew it was a joke. So it didn't start as a joke, and then it just no, got so popular. so now he's coming down the escalator. I'm working for Jeb. He's coming down the escalator, right, June of 15, and he's kicking everybody's daylights in. He calls me. He says, listen, I know you're a traditional Republican. Jeb's got low energy, never going to make it. When he comes out of the race, I want you to work for me. He shook my hand. 
I said, okay. Jeb came out of the race. He had his assistant call me the next day, and I went over to see him. And I took Scott Brown with me. Now, I think my, Michael would remember Scott Brown. He was the former Governor, senator, senator of Massachusetts. Massachusetts. He, he, he took over for Ted Kennedy. So I brought Scott with me because we went to Tufts together. And we sat in Trump's office, and we had a, you know, expletive-filled conversation about how to raise him the money. And then he called me, and he said, listen, Steve Mnuchin's a friend of mine. He said, I'd like you guys to co-chair the campaign. I said, no, no, let Steve chair the campaign, because I got my show on Fox, Wall Street Week, which Michael was a guest on, and I would have to give up my show. I can be on the committee, but I don't want to be the chair. Let, let Steven do it. He's a great guy. And so we got the campaign started. We got up and running. And if you want to hear real facts, because this is a Keep It Real podcast, I got the education of my life. Let me explain to you why. Because I grew up in a middle-class family with a blue-collar worker, but I didn't see what happened to the country. So I did 71 campaign stops with Donald Trump, and it gave me the education of a life in terms of what happened to the country. Want to hear what happened to the country? Want to hear what happened? We went from aspirational working-class families like my dad. I'm going to work my ass off so you can go to Tufts and Harvard and live the American dream. Aspirational working-class families to economically desperational. You got that? We destroyed these families, and I missed it. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this because my collective bias was Goldman, Davos, the World Economic Forum, hanging out with rich hedge funders. So you get the collective bias of the people you hang out with. And I lost track of how I grew up. And I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this 30-year-old guy comes over to me, and he says, oh, I see you on CNBC and bye-bye. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, oh, I just lost my job. I said, you did? Yeah. He goes, I'm delivering pizza at Domino's. He goes, you think you're in New Mexico? New, New Mexico. That would be Mexico because that's where my factory left. And Michael knows this. We lost 65,000 factories since NAFTA, and we hollowed out the country, and you could feel it in the country. And whether you like Trump or you dislike Trump, he represents them in their minds. Okay, these are people who don't like the establishment. They don't like hedge funders. They don't like the medical establishment. They don't want to take the vaccine. They don't like the political establishment, but they like Trump. So how come you're supporting Biden? Because Trump is an <laughs> asshole, and Trump is a, <laughs> a, Trump is a destabilizing, deinstitutionalist. And what made my family excel here mm-hmm. is the flat, decentralized system of the government. And Trump is telling people that he wants to be a dictator, and Trump is telling people he wants to persecute people who are his adversaries, which is anti-American. And Trump is telling people that he's going to expand the executive power of the United States. And if you really understand the documents, the thing that keeps you free in this country is the separation of those powers. And you can't have somebody threaten the institutions of the democracy. He is a fucking asshole, and he needs to be stopped. And I will spend countless hours and countless energy explaining to the people I grew up with what a danger he is to their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So that's the answer. They might know, but I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Trump fired you or you quit? No, no. I got my ass fired. Oh, you got fired. You know, I own my shit, man. You're not fired. nice to the person who fired you. You, gotta, you literally said that 20 minutes no, that's ago. That's not true. <laughs> Hold on a second. I was very, first of all, General Kelly fired me because Trump. No, I'm talking Trump about is, Trump. Yeah, but Trump's got no balls. General Kelly fired me because Trump's got no balls. He wouldn't fire me. He's a little <laughs> ovaries. You know? 
so he wouldn't fire me. But I was nice to Trump for two years. I went on TV. I defended him. I defended him. I defended. When did his you figure out he was an asshole? What happened was I'm on the Bill Maher show. I got Stormy Daniels on the show with me, which was a fucking great show, by the way. I'm on the Bill Maher show. Somebody asked me a question about Trump. I defended him. Then they said something. Well, what about the squad that he said to go back to the countries they originally came from? It was like one black girl, three Hispanics, or whatever it was. I said, I don't like that. That's American nativism. They said that to my Italian-American grandmother. I don't like that. I said, I don't think you should talk like that. He's the American president. You shouldn't talk like that. Show is over. I'm having a beer with Stormy Daniels and Bill Maher. And Bill looks over at me. And he says, oh, Trump's going to bury you tomorrow. I said, what do you mean? I said, I was defending the guy. Ah, no. You were seven for eight for Trump. You got to go 13 for 10. Tomorrow he's going to start burying you on Twitter. I said, there's no way. I gave this guy a tremendous amount of money. He fired me two years ago. I've been very loyal to him. There's no way he's going after me. Three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm at the Beverly Hills Hotel in the cabana. I'm getting lit up on Twitter. Now, let me tell you something, okay? You go as white as this table. When the President of the United States is going off on you on Twitter, I don't care how smart you think you are, <laughs> how tough you think you are, you go white like this table. I got up from the cabana, went to the bathroom, I splashed cold water on my face, <laughs> and I said, let me go after this motherfucker, and I went right back at him because I'm a New Yorker. I think I called him the fattest president since William Howard Taft because I know he hates being fucking fat, right? That got, me, that got me knocked off of Twitter for 12 hours, you know? Can't fat shame people, right? So then I took a picture of me and Stormy, and I said, listen, everybody's got a nickname. Yours is Tiny, Tiny Trump. And then he went crazy. And then Ivanka called me and told me, hey, can we, can we knock this off? But he went after me. I was nice to the guy. Once he started attacking me, and then Michael knows this, he went after my wife. Yeah, my wife, crazy. my wife never did anything to him. She dislikes him, but she never said anything publicly about him. He knew that my wife and I were fighting and close to divorce, as Michael just referenced. We patched things up, but he went after my wife on Twitter. Who fucking does that? You guys grew up in a neighborhood. You would let that happen to you. You'd let that happen to you in a neighborhood? Of course not. <laughs> oh, you think I could go to Rayo's and let somebody do that to me? I went after that motherfucker with everything that I had, and I will continue to go after him. And by the way, I built a home studio, and I go after him in the swing states. You think I booked myself on CNN? I booked myself on the local news. The blue-collar people watch the local news. Local news in all the swing states describing the menace of him. He only lost that election by 40,000 votes. When you alienate people and you go after their wives, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah. I mean, come on. But here's the thing, though, on, and man. I'm not political, but... You are. Somewhat. Nah, no, you are. You're trying bit. not to be little, but you not are. A tiny bit. You have to be, but man, because you want a better life for your family. Of course I, you're political. I do, but I don't know if Joe Biden is going to give me it. Or Trump. It's just like, it feels Doesn't like matter. this is you the worst guy, time ever to vote oh, yeah. for any listen, one of these you, guys. You're gonna be and choosing. that's me being real. Right, you want to be real? Yeah. You're going to be choosing between demented and dementia. Yeah. That's the choice. You're going to be choosing between invalid and insanity. Those are the choices. I'm that's going, with, I'm going choice. with invalid and dementia because they're less harmful. Okay, and he's an he might forget to do some shit. That's better. <laughs> that's he knows from the market. The, le the less they do, the better <laughs> the for the fucking stock market, the better, better for the economy. <laughs> it is true. That's better. 
You know, you don't want the guy, the demented guy, ask him. He was in the military. Ask the generals that worked for Trump how demented the guy is and how dangerous the guy is. You don't want somebody threatening the institutions of the American system. It, 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 it is okay. shocking okay. how many, how many. Uh, Every episode. How are we doing, how are we doing with this man. podcast? Let's, this, this, all right? this is great. This yeah. podcast let's, is let's definitely going the, viral. Yeah, right. This is a real podcast? A no, real fucking podcast. It's shocking how many. Probably get canceled after this. This is the only fucking show I'm allowed on it. How many people that Trump handpicked to work for him now really feel like Anthony does? There's 25, 30. 50. The New York Times did a story uh, over the weekend. They showed all the cabinet members. Let me tell you, if you're not tied to Trump politically or your last name's Trump, you dislike the guy. Well, unless, unless you're one of the, like, 100 million people that no, don't. That's, I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about oh. you worked in his inner circle. Yeah, yeah. Let me redefine it. You worked in the inner circle. You're not tied to him politically. You dislike the guy. Tillerson, Kelly, McMahon, McMaster. Mattis. Are they all people that was fired? Well, some of them were fired. Some of them quit. But, yeah. No, he bought it. Let me tell you something. When I got fired, it was a very big deal. He fired 85 people that after was, me. That was, you know? what, like 11, 12 days, 13 11, days? What 11. the fuck? Yeah. How do you get fired thank 11 for, days like, in? Thank you for going up, not going down. <laughs> Some people say, <laughs> how do you get fired 11 days in? If I was fighting with him. I was fighting with him. You know what? I he, respect that. You know, he they 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 said I got fired because of the comment I made about Steve Bannon. That's not why I got fired. I got fired because I was fighting with him. I said to him once, I said two things to him he didn't like. Number one, I said, he said, I work, I work for you. I said, well, I do work for you, sir, but this is the institution of the presidency, and the house we're in is the people's house, and I work for the presidency. I work for the American people. To put that in, oh, that sounds like a deep state line of bullshit. I said, no, it's not a deep state line of bullshit. That's how the system works. So how do you want me to talk to you? You want me to talk to you the way the other ass kissers are talking? Or do you want me to tell you the truth? How do you want to go about this? And you like that. So I got fired. Was it like the apprentice fight? Like, you're fired. <laughs> let's get off Trump. Let's get off Trump. Let's talk about business. They hate politics. No, I, I he really don't hate politics, but I just think it's like we've, we've heard Kelly this. Me. Huh? Yeah, General uh, Kelly fired me. You didn't yeah. have the balls to fire me. I, I think we should get into like Skybridge, crypto. Let's talk about money. I think this is fucking great. I want to get into whatever you want. We'll talk about whatever, whatever you want. the fuck he wants to talk I'll about. I'll talk about anything you guys want. You tell me. But you know, Michael said yeah. to keep it real, so I'm giving you the I, I, I'm, I'm giving you the naked scripture. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Let's so that was you know, the excitement of you're on TV nonstop and all of a sudden now you're fired. You had sold your company, it was held up by Cepheus. Cepheus. For you guys who don't know, Cepheus is the American institution that decides is it okay to sell US companies to foreigners. And it's like a black box. You're not sure what they're going to say and why they say it. And they can they can screw you. <laughs> they can allow you to sell. Uh, it's trying to protect America. But who knows? Like, yeah, you had a small little hedge fund. You know, it was politically motivated. Yeah, block. Of course it was. You know that. Of course. Like, I'm a big boy. So you had sold your company or a bunch of money. They're like, no, 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 no. Not only are you fired, but you, uh, you can't sell your company. And so big shift of economics for you. Went from being really rich to just. Rich. <laughs> How do you then regroup? You regroup quick. Great question. But, but, but let's go worse than that, right? 
I'm blown into Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm skinned alive. I'm rolled in margarita salt. I'm lit up by every late-night comedian. I'm lit up by every cable news pundit. Um, I was called all types of shit. You know, imagine if I was black. You ready? I'm Tony Soprano on the <laughs> Potomac. I'm a Jersey Shore cast member. You think if I was black, they could talk to me like that? No. But every Italian stereotype that they could come up with, they bash me as hard as they could bash me. And you know what I did? Picked up the phone and went right back on the air. <laughs> so when Colbert asked me to go on, all the PR people say, oh, you can't do that. You can't. You got to stay away from the air. Went right on the air. I took Steve Cohen with me from Boeing 72. Him and his wife were sitting in the audience. And when Colbert said to me, you think you're going to last a long time on the uh, job? I said, well, longer than the carton of milk in the refrigerator. They could get blown out before the milk spoiled. <laughs> I owned my shit. When Saturday Night Live invited me on to make fun of me, I showed up. <laughs> I went to Jimmy Kimmel. I read the mean tweets. So there's a lesson in life. When you're getting your ass kicked, you go forward. You don't sit in reverse. You don't stew. You don't play the victim. You move. You move. Mike, Michael knows some of my kids. My oldest son who went to Stanford Business School. He's 25 years old at the time. He's 32 now. It's seven years ago. He puts his arm around me. We're walking in Santa Monica by the promenade on like 3rd or 4th Street. Hey, Pops, are you going to be all right? This is a disaster. You lost control of the business. You're regaining control of the business. A billion dollars left the door. So Michael's right. It hurt about the valuation of the business. You've been destroyed in the press. They're trying to turn you into this two-dimensional stereotype, which you're not, but they're trying to do that to you. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to know how to say that again? Not only am I going to be okay, watch what I do with this. Because you can never play the victim in life. Okay, you're here, you're here for a moment. You're going to be dead for many moments. You don't play the victim in life. You get your ass up, and you go back to work, and you own your shit. I turned the Scaramucci into an 11-day time unit. <laughs> you know, when Trust got fired, I said she lasted 4.1 Scaramucci. She got pissed. <laughs> when Kevin McCarthy, the speaker... <laughs> I said, oh, he only lasted 24.5 Scaramucci. I can find it by 11 days. These fucking politicians, they get all pissed. They get very, very sensitive, these fucking politicians. You know what I'm saying? But you got to own your shit. You got to be there, and you got to own your shit. And I built, I rebuilt my business. Like the conference business and the... And but because of good friends, right? So he called me. How can I help you? I said, well, here's what I'm doing, blah, blah. No problem. I'll be there to help you. Milken called me. How could I help you? You got to be good to people because if you're falling and you're bad to people, the calls are not going to come in. But if you're good to people, I want Michael and his family to be, however successful he is right now in his life, I only want it to exponentially grow. I root for my friends. I want my friends to reach the tippy top of whatever it is they're looking for in their lives. That's the type of person that you need to be. So when bad shit happens, your, your friends are coming towards you, not away from you. Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're right. That was well said. You're, you're turning 60. I turned 60, Just January 6th. Wait, Trump insurrection day. guy is older than you? <laughs> 10 months, 10 months older than me. Same ba year, though, 1964. Based on age. You're, you're the dragon. Well, you're a dragon. Oh, that's right. A dragon starts. I'm a rabbit. I'm a rabbit. rabbit. Which says a lot about me and some of the trouble I've been in in my life. <laughs> so look, crypto, right? Crypto 
It's one of the best things that happened. But it felt like it was, it still feels like it's going to, it's not for you, Mike. <laughs> still feels and feels at times like it's going to bridge the gap with banking and poor people and just kind of change things around. But it, it's been more scams in crypto than yeah. fucking just a regular yeah. Friday in Flatbush. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I mean, the induction of scams always happens when you got new technology and you got uh, people that feel they can get rich quick. And so you had that situation with the carpetbaggers. They were selling tonic on the uh, western frontier. You had that situation in the railroads with Jay Gould. Anytime you have a massive sea change in technology, you had Bernie Ebers with WorldCom when they were moving to low-cost, low long-distance you're always going to induct some scam artists into the thing. But you said something that if you really believe it, which I believe, then you know the promise of crypto. It can help the unbanked. It can recreate a processing and payment system that is faster and clearer and cheaper. You know, we are old enough where we made a $4 a minute call from Europe when we were traveling. We waited online to make the call. Now that call happens in no minutes. I'm sorry, no cost for unlimited minutes. That's the promise of crypto. You my mom I mean? used to scream, get off the phone! <laughs> yeah, get off the phone. Because, oh, uh, my because grandmother he was a, stopped talking he was making to me for a, like uh, a year for running was, up a phone bill. He was making a collect call. I was making a collect call. My mother had the meter on. This is, this uh, is a true she, story. She my my parents lived in Heidelberg, Germany. They were in the Army. And I took one of my roommates there for the summer. Now, his family, upper middle class, they took such good care of me when I was in New Jersey, you know, we went to Princeton. We were go visit him at his house. His mother brought us food all the time. I mean, they spent fortunes on me. The poor kid makes one phone call to his parents. Now, he's a bit entitled kid because he was an only child, and and so he's talking. He's probably talking, probably talked to his parents for twelve minutes, not an hour, twelve minutes, at four dollars a minute. My parents always thought that was the most entitled. What a brat! (laughs) (laughs) His parents took nothing but care of me, but to to not ask. To use the phone, that kind of phone for for twelve minutes, shame on him. <laughs> but but that's the way we grew up, right? My dad was on a tight budget; he could never let that happen. But crypto is going to change us. So we we had two guys come in to Salt last year from El Salvador. They're on uh, President Bucalay's team. They told us if you take the expats and the money that runs from the expats back into the country, and ten percent of that money gets held up by Western Union. So if I got my mom and dad in El Salvador, I want to give them $1,000, Western Union gets 100 my mom and dad get 900 If you could eliminate that and go wallet to wallet, you're going to save $400 million for the expats and the citizens of El Salvador. Yeah, not, not for nothing, though. That's comparing it to Western Union. You do Apple Pay. You do No, Venmo. but what, what you're seeing I'm is, like, what you're saying, I literally had a meeting on this no, today. You need, a bank. The, you need a bank for those. The payment system, too, but non-U.S., yeah, is yeah. exploding. So... Tether, USDC, mm-hmm. these stable coins on different networks, Tether yeah, on 100%. Tron, are exploding overseas. 100%. Africa, Mideast, Latin America. Uh, and so they're not exploding in the U.S. because we have Apple Pay. We have right. a lot of – the payments work pretty but well in the U.S. Those are all tied to banks though, Michael. Apple Pay is tied to a bank. Yeah, yeah. They, they are. But, you know, but these, are, these other things are – these, these, these El Salvadoran expats are unbanked. Yeah, so why not, but you why can't not use, bank you can't, them? You but it begs the question of why not bank the, them. Because the fees are too high. I've got no, 2000 that's, that's circular, though. I'm saying like, like no, the fee. No, but ask Jamie Diamond. Ask Jamie Diamond, they don't bank. They can't get a bank account at J.P. Morgan. 
I'm not saying four, you need to get it. I'm, I'm just saying you don't need a distributed blockchain. No, last year, to... last year, nine billion dollars in overdrafts, like bounce checks in the U.S. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Co. charge poor people nine billion dollars. Yeah, so just legislate check. that they don't charge them nine billion dollars. Nine billion. I'm just saying, just just legislate that. You don't what? need. A, I'm just saying you don't need a crypto chain to solve that. I'm well, you can saying... legislate. If you, you can't legislate that every. That JP, well, I mean, you can, I guess. Your JP point, Morgan has to give everyone a bank account. Your point not is valid, but there's going to be a crypto chain anyway because it got invented and it's getting proliferated. And now the question is, it the stuff on that chain, some of the things, whether it's Ethereum or Solana or Bitcoin, are those digital properties worth something? And so don't go by me or don't go by Michael. Let's go by the market. Yeah, the yeah. market tells you it's worth something. Yeah, I'm, I'm Maybe actually, the market will tell you I'm, someday it's not worth something. Yeah. I don't know, but it does say now. That's and I'm, I'm not saying it's not worth something. I'm just saying, like, I don't think every problem is in, you know, is a solution of of uh, crypto. That's I, what I, I would I say. agree with that. You know, I would say there's. Oh, like I'm saying, in the U.S., for Apple Pay works pretty damn well for 80 percent of our population. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Here's but for if you're if you're if you're a, a Latina that wants to send their money home, it doesn't work because you're relying on Western Union. But you're relying on some transfer some, agent, yeah, right? Yeah. Or the so bank, in, or and how long right. does it take? If you you try to send your brother who's in uh, Yugoslavia money overnight, it's going to take you four days to wire money. Yeah. But let me say Mike, something they, about well, Mike for a second. Wait, wait, let, okay. I'm, I'm only saying there's, say. there's, right. I'm just, we don't have to get into it too much, but I'm saying there's certain use cases for crypto. And I'm saying like when, when crypto or, you know, when, when that language goes towards like, oh, we're going to, bank all the poor. I, I just think it's like you could legislate regulation. You could create that in, like, there's nothing magical about crypto, right, that's going to... Well, it ha there is and there isn't. And so you can create peer-to-peer -peer transfer, which saves so much friction, right? You're seeing it all over the... I mean, it started in Africa with M-Pesa, with, with, with not crypto, but using digital money on phones. So all of Africa's payments are on their cell phones. But it's uh, not... It's not crypto. Blockchain. Yeah, no. that's my point. But blockchain is more efficient and more fair and more distributed. It's, it's just a better system than in PESA. You could have a centralized version if everyone trusted the one person in the middle. You could, but we haven't had one. And so this is actually, it's happening. And, and, you know, you don't have to take my word. I can give you six papers on it. It is happening overseas at rapid development. Payments. And yeah, they're yeah. payments in dollars mostly, in stable coins. Right. Uh, it's a huge crime against our country that our government has been so slow in having a U.S. stablecoin, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the one that's closest is called USDC uh, Tether. I'm right. sorry, a circle. Yeah. Circle, right? USDC. It's assets are held at BlackRock. It's run by smart people. But the one that's gaining all the traction uh, is Tether, UST, mm -hmm. uh, over $90, $100 billion dollars. <clears throat> growing every day, and it literally is becoming the currency of the, the rest of the world. Crazy. But you see, what he's saying, you gotta really think about, because you got young listeners. He's six, gonna turn 60, started in Goldman, macro trading, had the balls to leave, create a uh, hedge fund, macro trading, international trading, scaled the business, took a business public, he could have stayed as part of the establishment. He could be saying things like, this is the decentralized pet rock, or if it was a scam, he, he could be saying that, but he's not. So he's out at the front lines taking heat. You follow what I'm saying? You yeah. gotta respect this guy because 
he could have stayed in the lane <laughs> of the establishment and the lane of the calcified rock of TradeFi, but he didn't do that, okay? And he, he, he's trying to explain it, and he's trying to evangelize it to people as a pioneer, and he's taking bullets for that. He's taking bullets for that. He's got his old buddies that worked with him at Goldman or whining and crying, you know, and I know some of these people, you know, and every, you know, I, I think Elizabeth Warren, Warren's mad at him because he's made so much money. She hates rich people, <laughs> you know, and she's mad at Mike Novogratz because he made so much money. Hey, let me know, he's him. a liberal, though, too. That's the other funny thing about him. <laughs> he's like a liberal. <laughs> you know what I mean? But these people hate him because he got rich off of the free thought. On, on Jamie so Dimon. Don't let the thought get clouded. You got to keep it free. That's the message. On Jamie Dimon, right? Mm-hmm. He's obviously incredibly anti-crypto, at least when he speaks, right? Anti <laughs> but yeah, J.P. Morgan puts out these things like Bitcoin's going to be at one hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars by. What makes J? What do you think? They what makes something bad that? about Bitcoin what? now today? Yeah, he, they so always, they what makes Jamie Dimon yeah, great at what he does yeah. is he's he's unfiltered and he says what's on his mind. Uh, that's what makes him so likable, and it makes him. I mean, he's a very likable guy, uh, and he's smart. Where he's wrong on this, like his institution says, hey, this is going to be part of the future. Yeah. And they, they have their own blockchain. They've got research. They've got – but he's not part of research, right? He's got his own opinion. So he's his private opinion. He says, I don't see the value in it. I'm always like, Jamie, okay, but I can name 50 unbelievable investors that see value in it. Ray Dalio, Stan Druckenmiller, Paul Jones, uh, Jeff right, Yass, right, Pete yeah. Brigger, uh, Abby Johnson, Anthony Scaramucci. Like – Larry Fink. Larry yeah. Fink. There, there are over 150, 200 million people that have seen value in it, but you're smarter than the rest of us? And his actual like, company. The arrogance, the arrogance that he thinks he's smarter than the rest of us, you know, fuck up. Like, it's just, that's where I'm like, are you that arrogant? Right? It's, it's shocking. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to buy it because it's not my cup of tea, but, oh, there's no value in it. He called it a pet rock. Arrogant, yeah. arrogant and stupid, arrogant, yeah, arrogant, and, arrogant and unknowledgeable, right? It's wow. like he's not being curious. Yeah, yeah. And so it doesn't mean he has to buy it, right? But I think there's an arrogance there. Uh -huh. uh, probably why he's it. good at his job. Is something you need to have a little yeah. bit of confidence and confidence. It's incredibly and smart guy. The other thing that's that that is shocking, right? Oh, uh -huh. it's used for fraud. J.P. Morgan has spent thirty-eight billion dollars in fines to U.S. government since Jamie Dimon's been there. Mm -hmm. Thirty-eight billion dollars in fines. So. Don't get all high and mighty that, well, we're all the clean money and that's all the dirty money, right? I don't think in total crypto, $38 billion has been, been oh, shifted in bad uh, frauds or scams. You can, you can find it on the ledger. You know, your yeah, friend yeah, Mike yeah. Morrell will tell you that, you know. So, and so a little bit of this is they're trying to protect <laughs> – well, they're trying to protect their <laughs> – banks are trying to protect their monopoly. Yeah. They just are. Uh, and they've done everything they can to kind of – Badmouth crypto. They 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 won't bank you if you're in crypto. It's shocking. Yeah. Right. I was a Goldman Sachs partner. I have a big family office. I have a lot of wealth. This company has a lot of wealth, and it's amazing how hard it is for us to get banked. We get banked because yeah. of all those things, but lots of crypto companies can't. Mm -hmm. And so there's this whole let's keep it down because they're the threat. Yeah. Hey. Jamie Dimon's tweeting about you in the morning. <laughs> I, sure, I sure hope so. You know, you know. Well, I like when Trump tweets about me. I get 50, 100,000 Twitter followers every time he goes. I love yeah, that. Like, hey, let me ask you this. You guys both had your own experience with, with Sam Bankman-Fried. Talk about him for a second. Compare him to CZ. Yeah, have you met him? I mean, yeah, obviously, if you want 30% of your company. business. What was yeah. he like? Why did he... 
I seen him you at a speech to, one time, and I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. Go first. So he called me unsolicited through an intermediary, and he wanted to sponsor the conference. He wanted, he just put his name on the FTX arena, and he wanted to sponsor Salt. They said, okay, no problem. Um, Ross Stevens had the top sponsorship that year. You know Ross. I said, you can do the 750 sponsorship. Wired the money in two seconds. Now, Michael knows his fast pay makes fast friends on Wall Street. I was like, whoa, this guy means business. Then I, I got him on a Zoom call. I said, tell me what you want to do. I was one of the founders of a company called Ledger X, uh, X Goldman guys. I was one of the seed investors. I said, Sam, this is something you should do. Actually, Michael was at this event. I, I did an event at Carbone. I had Michael, the Winklevosses, Sam showed up, and I put him together with the Ledger X guy. He bought Ledger X. So now the guy's loving me, right? I sponsored my conference. He bought Ledger X. was going to put him in FTX US. And we started to develop a relationship. He came to the conference. He had a great time. Michael was there. We had a great time. He's always dressed, you know. I got. I got to see what Michael. Yeah, I got to see what he's. <laughs> got to see what he's wearing, right? So, but Sam is dressed like a nut. He's got like the 1969 champion PE shorts on with the white socks and a T-shirt which is pulled down too much from overwashing. Right? Looks like a nut. But he's a very smart nut, and I liked him. Or the weird you said something, Sam, not you. You said something, yeah, exactly. You said something the night he got sentenced because we were on television together that left me with something. You said that he was always nice to you and he was a likable person. Very kind. Okay, he's a very kind person. Okay, so what happened, God only knows, but it was almost like the parents created like a Frankenstein monster, right? The father had a degree in psychology. They were medicating him with different medicines because of his... ADHD and the personality issues, and he went rogue. He became like a Frankenstein monster, but he hurt me bad because I took him to see MBS in the palace. I took him to see MBZ, who's a buddy of mine forever, in the UAE. I was in the Majlis with him. Mm -hmm. He hurt me bad. These are, these are friends of mine for 25 years. A week later, he blows up, you know? It's bad, you know? I have a question for you. If you were gonna do it all over with SBF, like, yeah. what would you have done differently? There's only, there's only one thing I could have done differently, and I think I had this conversation with Michael, is the money was tracked by four people. And so I needed to have interviewed the 50 people. I needed to say, are you permission to move the money? Do you have the permission to move? Who has the permission to move the money? Because if, when you got down to it, there were only four people moving it. And a financial crime is committed by a close-net group of people. You can't commit a crime at Galaxy because he's an ex-Goldman guy. He's got 100 people looking at it. He's got 100 outside vendors looking at it. So when the keys are turning for the money to move, there's too many people. Yeah. You know, but a crime, Epstein, one, two, three people, crime, Madoff, the yeah. brother, the, the receptionist, right, and the right. accountant, you got a crime. So the crime happened with four people. So what I learned the hard way— yeah is that four people can commit a crime. Forty people can't commit a financial crime because mm -hmm. there's always a person of conscience who raises their hand and says, that's why it doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. That's why he's got great checks and balances. That's why Galaxy always passes all the DD. Mm -hmm. But we had a letter from him, and we had a rules and procedures from him, but I didn't interview the people. He said, oh, no, this guy can move the money, that guy can move the money, that guy, yeah, we, you know, we got the checks, but, but they didn't. I needed to call the general counsel and say, hey, can you really move the money? 
Mm-hmm. Who moves that money? That was a mistake. And by, not just by me. Michael can tell you. you know, yeah. There were 25 VCs, uh, sovereign wealth funds. We all made the mistake. It wasn't just me, but that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're 60. You got 30 more good years. I hope. Let's hope. What's the next? Well, how many years does my pee-pee have? That's the key because I'm Italian, you know? <laughs> if it's got 15 good years, then I'm dead, basically. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's laughing the hardest because he knows what I'm talking about. All right, but let's say we got 30. He's got 30 good years. Yeah. Politics, yeah. build this business, yeah. wait till the next thing shows up and hit it. No, I think I, 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 I'm in the flow of what I'm doing. I got young kids. You know, I didn't, I didn't wait for my millennial kids. I made my own grandchildren, okay? So I got a six- and nine-year-old at home. Or I got remarried 10 years ago, and I love my wife, and we're raising the kids. I got adult kids. I'm in the flow. We'll see what happens. You got an opera singer? That's question. Opera He's got singer. an opera singer. Daughter. My daughter she sings with nice. Andrea Bocelli. She played Christine, a fan of the opera in Europe. She's got a phantom of the yeah, opera. She's got, it. She's, got it. she's got it going on. She's got a good mojo. Fun questions. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Well, I tell you like, the one. I tell you the one I wouldn't want it to be. And then tell me the okay, one. Okay, the one I wouldn't be. want it to be is to read everybody's mind. I wouldn't want that power because people are rough on each other, you know. And there's an expression in Italian that the best among us choose not to judge human frailty so harshly. So the one superpower I don't want, I want to read your mind. If you don't like me, that's okay. You know, what you think about me is none of my business. You know, that sort of thing. And what would be a the, superpower? The, the superpower that I would want is I would want to be able to heal people. Ah, oh, two days yeah, in a row! In a row. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you told me you had cancer, God forbid, and I could figure out a way to heal you. Because you know from Jackie Robinson, what did Jackie say? Your life is valuable when it's in the service of helping others. What did Ali say? I'm an ordinary guy, worked my ass off to be the best that I could be to help other people. So the people that are the happiest on the earth are the ones that are helping each other, right? They pass the ball to each other. So if you gave me the one superpower, you told me, God forbid, you had a kid that was sick, and I could save that kid, I want that power. I like that. Another fun question. When did you make your first million dollars, and what did you do with it? What age were you? I can tell you, when my net worth cleared a million or when I actually had a W-2 of a million? Network clear. Network clear. I was thirty-one years old. Me too. Because <laughs> we were tracking together at Goldman. I was thirty-one. I watched it clear on my Goldman Sachs account. My equities went over went over a million dollars. And I remember thinking, I am rich. <laughs> I am rich. But was I? I don't know. You know what I mean? At that time, I, I thought. And what, did, what was your first big purchase? Oh, I know that. I can totally tell you. Okay, I'm a car guy. Okay, so, I mean, I'm a Guido, Nouveau Riche, Long Island Italian. We love fucking cars. Okay, <laughs> so my first big purchase was a 1979 Burgundy Berlinetta Camaro. I bought it from the Sunoco station with all my savings from my jobs in 1981. That's a big purchase for me. Yeah. The big millionaire purchase is I bought myself a BMW, like a 740iL. And the only reason why I bought it is the son of a bitch that sold it to me was on sale. Manhattan BMW. I thought I was getting a bargain. Turned out I think I paid like 2x what it was worth or some shit. I got totally ripped off, you know. But I bought that. But my big, big purchase, just to expose my total guido ness to you, is my Lamborghini. 
That was my dream car, but then I bought a Rolls Royce. All right, you come come hang out with me, okay? I got a I got one of those. I'm Italian. You got to have cars. We got to go, bro. Right? We're done. No, I'm just right. Your shtick. Shtick. What's the shtick? What's the shtick? So at the end of every podcast, what the fuck is with you? I got multiple phones. I don't know. End of every podcast, what happens? We we give an ounce of gold. Boom. Boom. And we ask you, we ask you to leave leave our viewers with your ounce of gold. So, whatever you want to leave our. How much is that worth today, Mike? Unfortunately, a little less than yesterday, but still over two thousand dollars on its way to three thousand. What do you mean? You want me? What do you mean? You want me to give it to somebody? No, I just want you to like tell us what your ounce of gold. Yeah, that's yours. For you to like tell us what your ounce of gold is. What you want to leave us with as your ounce of gold? To the people. You've had a lot of entrepreneurs already. Yeah. Okay, so this is like wisdom or something. Yeah, like this yeah. is you're, you're, now you're making the commencement. This is, this is worth two fucking thousand dollars. Motherfuckers, pay attention. Okay. <laughs> In the immortal words of Mel Brooks, the American comedian, ninety-six years young, relax. None of us are getting out of here alive. You live your life like that, <laughs> you're gonna be very happy. That's worth two thousand dollars. But I want to tell you, this is very impressive. I can keep this? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. oh, I mean, you don't call me the mooch for no reason. I was going <laughs> to take it from you anyway. But. <laughs> very sweet, Anthony, thank you. Yeah, thank Are you, you kidding me? Thank thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. That was I'm blessed to be here. I love that. Was pen. that all right? Yeah. 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 Falling out of control. Oh. That was great. <laughs> <laughs>